Welcome to the Atlas Project. It's a new world. To navigate it, we need new maps. Each episode, best-selling author Chris Katana and Scott Jones saw 50,000 feet above the immediate headlines in politics, economics, science, and society. The Atlas Project aims to reveal the big picture of where humanity is headed and the choices we all need to face. Chris, welcome back to the show. Scott. Scott, we're doing more and more of these. It's great. Yeah, no, it's fun. It's And uh, we are actually Facebook living too, so it's... Uh, Nobody kind of paid attention to my hair. We haven't... It's still... Uh, there are no no barbershops open in London, and it's been a while. And I'm, I'm just rolling with it. Yeah, yeah. We're, we're in pandemic. Um, we're in pandemic mode, so there we go. Mm-hmm. Well, we came off last... So for those of you who... Uh, who know the Atlas Project and are listening regularly, a lot of you have been connected to Basecamp. And we're jokingly, well, not even jokingly, I think we're kind of calling our, our kind of subtitle for this podcast is now Basecamp Radio. Basecamp Radio. And so we Basecamp is a community of people that are kind of seeking questions and, and looking to discover new maps and a new world. And we're doing these great online convenings, um, convening online meetings. And we had a great meeting on Thursday that you, I mean, the, your framing of the question for us to talk about was so great because it was so blessedly ambiguous. It's like, what's the difference between us and them? Yeah. It was so <laughs> wide open. It was wide open. Well, this is something that, so yeah, I think, you know, Basecamp is, um, I mean, well, I'll just speak for myself personally, but I, I think I'm speaking on behalf of a lot of people. Uh, it's it's an important social experiment. Yeah, yeah. and you know, I, I I I don't have one way of describing it or thinking about it, and I don't know if any of us do because we are in the midst of you know, I think discovering and also in a sense sort of recovering what this is. But but how I was thinking about it this morning over over Sunday coffee is is kind of like like society's second brain or maybe like its first brain like where is society's brain we know that there is um all sorts of stuff that is just true at a systemic level you know covid-19 is a great example right like the risks for me as an individual um are not necessarily the right way to think about you know what is the right thing to do because there are these sort of things that are true at a social level that kind of work on me but 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 how does that social level even sort of think and become aware and i think part of it is is you know through through gatherings like Basecamp, where there is a kind of diversity there that is not not sort of predetermined by we're all part of the same organization or even part of the same community or part of the same uh, demographic people do all kinds of things for a living vocationally it's international i mean i had several folks I invited and one of my friends just remarked about how helpful he's from Alabama. He's an attorney, great guy. And how helpful it was to have these non-American voices. And, you know, because in America right now, um, you know, the whole us versus them, I mean, Mm -hmm. between the politics of COVID-19 and, and the kind of dialogue about police brutality and, and racial injustice, it it feels, I mean, there's, it's an intense time in the United States right now. Mm -hmm. And so to be able to step out of some of that intensity Right. And get some ears and eyes mm. that are in different parts of the world was super helpful for mm. him. Just to mm. sp- just get some time, get out of the echo reflect. chamber. Yeah, 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 yeah. It, yeah. And then yeah. there's a kind of you know. So another person I was talking to on it, uh, friend uh, Dave, who you know he's a very senior bureaucrat in the Canadian government. Um, so he's always you know working on society's interests. I mean that's kind of his job, and it's a pretty big one. And yet you think about it, like when, like if you, 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 you almost never, 
get to have an encounter with society as a as a senior bureaucrat that isn't sort of carefully managed and kind of composed like here is a representative sample of the community and and so that sample is so is so laden with all of the biases that went into forming it you know it's not messy it's in some way neat and and because it's it's excluding so much of of um you know, kind of the anomalies. It's not. It's not actually a, a good representation of reality, because the anomalies are real too, and that is kind of interesting. That's this sort of this. Uh, now I'm getting a bit heavy on a Sunday, but you know, we we tend to kind of exclude the outliers because yeah. they don't fit the model, but they are part of the reality. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> and so yeah, I, right. I I find at Basecamp you get a lot of like. You got a lot of people who fit the model, who fit the trend line, and then you get a lot of outliers because, of course, outliers also exist. Um, so it has been, I mean, I think uh, for all of us who are taking part, just a great way to to mess with our own echo chambers and just continually. Uh, I like the language that biologists use when they talk about uh, like populations of species that have become too dangerously same and too yeah. tame that they're now vulnerable, they're too fragile to the kind of environmental shock. And the, and so they talk about the need to rewild that yeah, species, yeah, right? Yeah. And and I just find that a trip to base camp is just rewilding my thinking. Which- Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, as, as an American right now, what was so, um, you know, I've connected a lot of people from the base camp community outside of the meetings and become becoming friends with them and they were checking in with me and how, how are you doing? And, uh, uh, you know, it, the thing is an American right now with Basecamp is that it's such a welcome change of pace because I feel like the whole us versus them question, it's like right now, whether it's COVID or whether it's on racial issues or police and how we're doing this stuff, basically what you have to do is you, you pick your tribe. And then when you pick your tribe, it's like Apple. Do you accept the terms and conditions? Hmm. And so what happens is you, you have to sort of accept the terms and conditions and you can't really speak in ways that are, you can't be a multitude within yourself have all these conflicting tensions and stuff. And so you're, you're kind of, you put on your team Jersey and then you play for that team. And I, and it it is, it is stifling. Mm. It it can be nauseating. And I think it's, it's one of the reasons why you look at the American response to COVID-19 is a disaster. I mean, we are a disaster. Like we are the wealthiest country in the world. We've got the best scientific research institutions, the best, and we are a nightmare on this. Mm. And some of you, because You've politicized it like the most, or among the most politicized um, reactions to it. it the, the most. I mean, I can't think of any uh, country that's politicized well, it more than I, we have. I think Brazil is maybe one example. Okay, um, yeah, yeah, right. So, so you know, basically, you know, the Americas are having a, a a really tough time orienting politically. But you know, I think of you know other countries like here in the UK. Um, well, well, that's maybe a bad example because it's kind of all over the place. But there was a sense um, you know, when we finally got to it that, you know, Boris Johnson said, OK, like, so this is real and this is kind of above politics. Um, uh, you know, maybe another example just that I'm familiar with uh, as a Canadian, the premier of Ontario. So, you know, pre- pretty important Canadian province, um, pretty divisive political figure uh, in in that province. But uh, again, at least in the early response days, said like this is above politics, and so we've got to kind of take a a yeah a, a, a higher approach to this. Now, of course, the devil is in the details, and the politics has come back, and you know you see all of that happening. But in the United States, I I, I think you're right that it 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 from the beginning has been 
um, so politicized that you can't wear a mask without making some kind of statement about what tribe you belong to. Yeah, what's interesting, too, about the whole mask phenomenon, right, is that it makes this strange alliance where, okay, if you were against the shutdowns, then you're thinking, well, I don't want to wear a mask either. And I'm thinking, well, if you want the economy to slowly open back up, wearing masks are the key, <laughs> right? Like these mitigating... It's funny, the people that want the the want a more aggressive strategy to open up the economy are the people very often that are against any kind of mitigation. And you think, well, come on, <laughs> you just have to think about this for a second. <laughs> so, which, you know, all kind of, so step back from these specific debates and, and the real, there is a real art, I think, to, to base camp and it's a collective effort to figure out um, every time we get together, what's the question that we're going to kind of gather around and, and I, I mean, I don't know if we'll ever kind of figure out a perfect science for, you know, the, the question that both brings the diversity of us, opens all of us to make a meaningful contribution to it, connects in some meaningful way to what is important in society to, to pay more attention to that we haven't been paying attention to. But, but it felt like this was a good question around, you know, identity and, and how we look at, at at tribes, yeah. What is the difference between us and them? And and you know, it, depending on where, it, it immediately is a is a, an opportunity to reflect on racism, which of course is a giant global conversation. But it's also an opportunity to reflect on our political tribes. Um, it's also an opportunity to reflect on nationalism, which you know has been such a giant piece of this COVID thing, right? Like every country for itself is kind of how. Um, like the the kind of global scramble for um, emergency medical equipment, like masks and gloves, back back in March went. There was no there was no we are in this together as one planet. Yeah, it's you know America first, Canada first, England. It, it was within the states in the United States. The states were competing. <laughs> <laughs> I remember so honestly, just like a little, little insider. I remember in the early days of of March when I was helping a lot of government efforts and you know with the canadian government it felt relatively simple because there was this big federal plan and i i mean it wasn't perfectly coordinated but you there was there was trust in the federal government that they're not going to work against the provinces they might not help as best as we want them to but and and when i you know talked to some of my american friends and you know these like big institutions and said like why can't you do what the canadians are doing like just have one just one big thing send it all to a big amazon warehouse and you know but and then they would send me, you know, these controversial articles about, well, we're not sure if federal government is going to prioritize the kind of stuff that we think should be prioritized. Is it going to go to customs and immigration enforcement agents before it goes to frontline healthcare workers? And, and that you have those kind of serious doubts about whether at different levels of government we have, you know, we have even overlapping notions of public interest um, is, is really is really a detriment in a in a crisis where you kind of like us all to feel like okay it, it this has simplified things for the moment right we need to protect these things first and then we'll get down to that but but if you if, if you feel like we're on completely different planets in terms of what is essential um, then you yeah, want to no, keep you want to keep the power to to you know to protect your definition. Yeah. We've talked in several episodes of this podcast about social trust. And I think this is just America. Social trust is, is, is a huge low. And part of the reason it gets to the us versus them thing. I heard Francis Fukuyama interviewed last year, the great um, political scientist and you thinker. I think he's, a, he's I forget what university is in California, but when he, he wrote um, the end of history and you know, great 
student of the liberal democratic project. He had a great insight in this interview. He said, what we have in America is more and more ways to self-identify, right? Like racially, culturally, sexually, your pronouns, like it, it's, it's becoming like it, we have multiple, multitude of forms of identif- identification for particularity. At the same time, we have fewer and fewer resources of common identity formation. So at the at the at the moment when we're, we we have this plurality of ways to to, to particularize your 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 identity, we have very little usness, right? We have very little like that's a that's a we. The, the we is eroding. At the same time, you have exponentially increasing forms of making yourself particular. And I'm not saying that the either like the the exponential ways of particularizing are a bad thing at all. But it's just it it breeds social distrust when. There's not a corresponding sense of, hey, here's what, how we're in this together, and here's how we're in a shared kind of thing with, with, with the multitudes that are within us all. There's this multitude of us. And I, and I think that you know when you see a response in America to the pandemic, that you see the cost of that inability to have a common us, it's like some sort of sense of like we're in this together. So I think I, so it would be great. We need, we need to get a social theorist on the on the line at some point, because I have so many questions. Um, and one of them is, so there is this kind of exponent. It is such a creative moment for identity formation, right? Um, there is that. And then there is also... The, By the way, plug the, for your book, uh, The Age of Discovery. You talk about this in I The Age of Discovery. <laughs> Where do I talk about well, well, I guess talk I talk about, about everything. But Well, you talk about in the Renaissance, one of the big challenges mm-hmm. is the Renaissance through the Reformation. You have all these new social forms of identity. You have guilds. You have Protestants and mon- monasteries are closing. Mm-hmm. You have all this new identity formation, right, which is mm-hmm. chaotic and can be and, and, and needs to be right. figured out. So, I mean, I, this is one of my favorite parts of your book when you, when, you, when you look at that. And I think we're very much in that same. So that was a free plug for your book, by the way. Age of Discovery, everybody. I, I, I appreciate that. Still, you know, still doing well on Amazon, by the way. It needs to be updated, but um, interesting. If you saw my copy of that book when I interviewed uh, you. Yeah, it was pretty um, uh, dog-eared, was it? Well, I had, so this is my way, I've, I've been prepping for interviews for the last couple years. I post-it notes and write little questions and, and insights. I probably had 65 post-it notes in that book. <laughs> <laughs> it's a great read. Seriously, if you're, if, you're, if you're caught in the pandemic, if you're looking for something to read, it is a great read. It's a fun read. Uh, it's intellectual and rigorous without being a, 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 a kind of dogged, like slug fest of a read. I mean, it's a really great book. Oh, I appreciate that. This um, is free. This is free, and, and I'm getting nothing out of this. I'm not getting paid for that. That's just an honest opinion of my friend's book. Well, it's amazing that you read the book and said, "Like, hey, we should do a podcast together." I mean, that was right. right, right. Well, we had this conversation. Yeah. That interview was so great. I mean, so, it was so, very... okay. Now, now I've got a hopper of three or four things I want to say. So, briefly on the ideas in the book, I remember you know researching the advent of print and um, the printing press moving from an oral to a print culture had a profound effect on identity formation uh, and particularly in the emergence of national identities like we are all French and we are all English. Because before that, if you think about it in oral culture, I mean, just the differences in dialect and accent between people would kind of make people feel like, well, no, you know, we are us, but you're not really one of us. And then yeah. suddenly it all gets rendered in the same um, text and you're like, oh, OK, I guess we are all English. And, and, and so the emergence of the kind of the modern state, the nation state, was so closely tied to, you know, the advent of print, which just made it possible for these much larger, you know, to 
who is it, Benedict Anderson, talked about imagined communities, these much larger imagined communities to come into existence. So, I mean, that's that's kind of, um, uh, I guess, kind of chapter one of every every book on the on the on the impact of print on identity. Um, one of the other things, and I remember it being a bit controversial with with my co-author, but I thought, well, you know, the, logically this makes sense because religion is a, is a is a controversial topic at the best of times. But it seemed like it made sense that if there was was a book about sort of just the you know the storms, the rising storms of our second Renaissance, that looking at what are the what are the forms of shared experience you're just talking about that um, have a role to play in society to form a kind of broader sense of we uh, to expand our circles of paying attention beyond um, the more narrow identities that we might craft for ourselves. And, and in that respect, you know, religion has a really important role to play. There aren't that many um, ways left that society forms uh, a broad cohort of people. I mean, uh, like national service. I know, like in the U.S., people like David Brooks have been hammering this idea for years. Like there should be a national. Everybody goes into national service for a year. From a forming a broader sense of we perspective makes total sense. Um, we don't really have things like that. You know, even you know, I suppose schooling, like primary and secondary schooling, is is a fairly universal experience, but not even like in complex countries like the United States. Every state, maybe even lower level, like has its own kind of. Oh, every school board. I mean, it's, uh, yeah, all, it's all local. I mean, right. the United States is all localized. Right. So, so you add it like there's basically what what is there that unites everybody? You know, Super Bowl, Dancing with the Stars. <laughs> right. They're very. Trump. Right. So, right. So, well, that, you know, and so when, when you come to a moment where we need to kind of really rely upon a civic layer of awareness and you realize that it's not just there waiting to be picked up, it does need to be, you know, continually worked on and invested and, and, and stuff like that. Um, yeah, it's interesting. Ross Douthat from The New York Times wrote this book a couple of years ago called Bad Religion. And he's a kind of conservative Catholic New York Times op-ed writer, but what he talked about was like how in America we had this history of civil religion, right? Which was kind of uh, there's the, all these great books about this. Niebuhr was written about this. Uh, Will Herzog, a Protestant Catholic Jew. There's so much literature written about this. But he argues things like the civil rights movement were possible because there was this shared civic religion, which was non-sectarian. It was kind of this Enlightenment Judeo-Christian sort of imaginative religious language. And he says, you know, what, what happens when that erodes is you get more of fundamentalism and sectarianism, and you get more kind of flaky, kind of new agey spirituality that doesn't really contribute to public life. It's, it's kind of it's kind of individual consumeristic sort of spirituality. And so, I mean, I think that, that he is right on on this in, the, in that we... And I don't know that I don't know the because we can't go back, right? Like I mean, you know, this is the big temptation of of everybody that that um, wants to kind of romanticize the past, right? You want to go back. We can't do that. But I, I'm wondering if if there is a kind of new civic religion we can aspire to, or kind of get. I mean, and, and it's interesting because even the base camp gatherings seem to have a function a little bit like this. There's a there's a real spirituality. Um, in the gatherings of of, of questions, uh, sort of being more significant than giving all the answers, hmm. of a kind of valuing every voice in the room, yeah. of a kind of emotional as well as intellectual kind of intelligence. 
And that kind of, I mean, there's a kind of, I mean, it is a sort of ethos, which if we had at a wider Mm. level, I mean, I I think it would increase social trust. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Civic religion. That's an interesting, write that down. Well, I guess we've recorded it. Um, It's recorded, baby. That's another way to think about it as, you know, base camp has a civic religion. You know, another way to think of it is a kind of like, you know, sort of Ted for the 2020s. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because like Ted in the 2000s, I think, you know, it really did, it, it kind of offered something. Um that that was really valuable to society, which was to say, you know, how can we how can we multiply the uh, the ideas that get out there, you know, the good ideas that get out there, um, ideas worth spreading, and and I think that Basecamp really, you know, if there were a tagline, it's conversations worth having. Right, it's a flattening out of the TED culture. It's it's I mean, TED is a very kind of one to many. Right, model. right. This is this right. is many to many. This is yeah. across. Yeah, yeah. And I think it's also a kind of you know I think part of the inevitability of a one-to-many model, which is you know, dr- driven by sort of the analytics of views and how many views you get, is is the like with the best of intentions. Inevitably, the ideas worth spreading becomes um, the ideas that spread. So it kind of becomes right, right, right. like the you know it becomes a circular thing that the ideas that 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 are going to spread the most are the ones that are worth spreading. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. You know, the ideas the ideas that are unpopular aren't worth spreading because they're not going to spread. Whereas uh, those are probably the ideas that are most worth spreading. The problem is they don't spread. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. And, and, and posting them somewhere isn't necessarily going to help them to spread because people aren't consuming them. Whereas the conversation's worth having, right? I think that that's, that's part of why, you know, crafting the questions, what are we all going to attend to that maybe we haven't been attending to enough? Um, that is very different. You know, the, the, the the incentives are very different. We're not trying to get clicks, right? Not right, trying to right, get views. Right, right. We're all right. trying to come away saying to ourselves, that was a conversation worth having. Probably because it's precisely the stuff that isn't bombarding my uh, personalized news feeds because it's popular, right? It's, it's the interesting stuff that I'm missing. You talk about needing a social theorist. And I think we, we might, but like, because I do think, again, if, if, if the theorists are right and social trust is like one of the key things for society, like if it's going to function well, this is why Scandinavia works so well. They're at the top of the social trust quotient. Like um, it, when you look at scales, what I like of Basecamp is there is a kind of high social trust quotient. And I, I don't know these people, and yet we connect. And I've, you know, I've developed several real friendships with people in different parts of the world, um, and help I'm helping them collaborate on projects and and and, and things like that. We're, there's a there's a kind of um, ethos and DNA in the base camp community that I think is just conducive to social trust, mm-hmm. right? It kind of mm-hmm. the people that come into it have some of the emotional intelligence as well as the intellectual kind of critical inquiry to kind of build social trust. And once you have that, I mean, again, it's, it's, it's remarkable that once you get some social trust, it's remarkable what's, what you're capable of, mm-hmm. even as a small community. Hmm. I think it's interesting, you know, as I as I kind of reflect on the conversation that we just had on Thursday around, you know, what is the difference between us and them? And I was I was so worried for the model. I felt like, okay, we're 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 testing it with a question that really invites um, certainty and confrontation and kind of platform standing and 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 you know, telling your truth. Which you know, Basecamp probably isn't a great space for. Um, you need to come. You need to come to it with a lot of um, doubt, right, and a lot of curiosity. 
Um, because why else would I listen to these people who, you know, I don't normally interact with and they don't do what I do. Right. Um, and yet it, it, it went so well. <laughs> Probably like I, I, you know, before we got into the conversation, I was belaboring all of these things to kind of help make it a safe space, you know, in an abundance of caution for it falling apart. And, you know, it wasn't perfect. There's, you know, inevitably, um, we are all imperfect at having conversations rather than arguments. Um, but, uh, but, you know, there were, there was far less disaster and, and cleanup than, than I imagined. And I think in part because, um, as you say, like to, to have any interest in showing up to the conversation, you probably are already operating with you know, a pretty high degree of curiosity um, and, and to some you know, like, and a pretty high degree of, of trust that, that there do exist people out there like me who want to learn and are genuinely curious about, you know, how do you, Scott, think about this stuff? What's your personal experience of this kind of stuff? Yeah. And, and there, and, and there are people that are coming in. Yeah. I think that curiosity is the key, right? The, the, when you have a collective curiosity mixed with social trust, I mean, that's kind of a, a cultural, it's cultural dynamite in the sense of, I mean, you, you really, with that collective curiosity and, and a high social trust quotient, there's a lot you're capable of doing um, in the world. You know, there's a lot, there, there's a lot of conversations that are, you know, spur, I mean, it's interesting. I remember uh, this one kind of Christian psychologist, I read a book of his years ago and he said something that stuck out in the book. It's the one sentence that stuck out for me. He said, most people in crisis don't need information. They need imagination. And I think that's really true, right? We don't need more data points, right? We need a, we need a capacity to reimagine what's in front of us where we see, oh, it's either this or this. Oh, no, it's not just this or this. There's eight choices before us, or there are nine paths we could go down, or, or maybe 12 or 14. And I think that's part of the, the curiosity with the social trust it offers a space for a kind of collective imagination, for reimagining possibilities. And I think that's, imagination is always more powerful than information, right? Because, because of sort of, you know, you have confirmation bias, you manipulate data, all things. Imagination is what gets you out of some of those gridlocks mm. and log jams into a place where you can reimagine, you can re kind of configure the possibilities for conversation and change. Okay, two, I, I, two things I have to say, and I don't want to forget either one of them. What, one is on social trust. So I think one of my hypotheses is key to Basecamp working uh, and why it's working is uh, it has to be a nonprofit. Okay? Yeah. Because there is also tremendous, I think, social cynicism out there. Yeah. And particularly around anything that kind of builds a community. I mean, we have such a learned experience of giving ourselves to build up a platform, yeah. which, which then creates these sort of demons <laughs> that wreck our society. Yeah. Yeah. Right. That exacerbate economic inequality where, where we feel that we kind of got the short end of the stick or whatever. And so, you know, and, and, and being a nonprofit actually isn't enough. Like with more resources, if anybody's listening, like we need, we need some of the world's best experts in kind of like the charitable architecture. Is that set the right way so that, you know, what we're collectively building is, you know, a perpetual gift to humanity. And it's interesting because, you know, it, it also needs to be, um, held long enough that the DNA, um, that what emerges is the right thing, even if we don't know exactly what the boundaries of it need to yeah. be. I mean, there's just so many forces in the world that want to, oh, great. I, I know how to monetize that. And then very quickly, 
instead of becoming a, a really helpful and important and necessary space, like a kind of public space, it becomes something lesser and, 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 and retail. So, but I, I think that, you know, having, having that clear intention stated over and over again, again, uh, is, is, is part of how we, um, is a necessary part of how all of us combat our own cynicism that it's possible to create a a kind of non-aligned you know a little anarchic space that enables us to have these conversations that are missing to have conversations that matter yeah i i'll tell you i i've been part of a movement uh yeah i think you should call it a movement called the emerging church movement and and some of my friends started it in, in in the united states and there are parallel expressions in new zealand and in australia and the uk but it was basically people, mostly Gen Xers and millennials, who were trying to reconfigure religious community. And they, it got a lot flatter. It got a lot less um, insider-outsider. It got, it, they re-examined old symbols and things like that. And they really, it, it's, it's been a dynamic. Um, it, 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 they were able to get beyond some sort of tribal polarities in, in the right-left American culture with some of these moves. And it became a really interesting like what you're saying, kind of architectural project where they were reconvening religious, reconstructing religious communities, trying to get um, past some of the stuff that leads to stagnation and leads to sort of power grabs and leads to some of the polarization. And I think there's a kind of like parallel here in base camp that it, 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 it's sort of trying to build a culture that gets us out of some of the log jams that we're finding um, primarily in the West, but all over the world. I mean, like, you know, there's people, it's a global community, but they, you know, it's it's interesting, and I think it's uniquely suited to do that, which is why you know it's it's an exciting thing to be a part of. I mean, I, I when I come away from these meetings, I I get excited about like, wow, I've been you're right, I've been in a social experiment where wow, what if this kind of caught on? <laughs> what if this was like a a, a positive COVID nineteen positive viral kind of thing where like people were was building these kind of communities where reimagination and social trust and questioning and map making were really happening. I mean, are it's, you, it's an exciting are you familiar thing. at all with Ivan Illich? Ivan Illich, the character in, uh, uh, so he was, this, uh, he was this, uh, like 20th century polymath. He was like a, he was a Roman, he was a Roman Catholic okay. priest no. where I thought you might be, but also like a historian, a writer, uh, a critic of institutions in, in, in Western culture. Um, and uh, when he was, a, so he was Austrian, died in maybe 2002. And I'm trying to remember um, what the book was. That Anyway, the reason I'm thinking of Ivan Illich is he, he's the one who talked about, he said, organizations serve themselves. Uh, I'm looking for, I'm not, I'm not yeah. quoting, I'm paraphrasing somebody who's quoting him. Um, it is impossible to resist the temptation to state that organizations, with rare exceptions, tend to self-protect and self-preserve by protecting the status quo and the interests of those in power, often turning against those they claim to serve. Um, and and so you know we live like now you know you know the the big um, the big trend and the and the uh, the fashion in business is to be a purpose-driven organization. What is the used to be vision right. and mission now right. it's purpose, right? What is the social purpose of our organization? And and Ivan Illich would say that, yeah, like that sounds nice, but the reality, if you look at what people's behaviors are, where they put their time, energy, resources, is most of it all goes to serving the organization and its interests. And, and if you actually try to serve the purpose, that tends to be kind of subversive. Right? To serve the actual intended purpose, you have to be subversive within the organization. So, so I think like that's you talk about 
this you know religious revival i think that's kind of exactly what they're responding to is like all of these organized religions it, it becomes about serving the institution and where is the public you know where is the faith community that this is all meant to be about reaching out where is, is it william temple the former archbishop of canterbury said the church is the only organization that exists solely for the benefit of its non-members and, but it, what happens inevitably is you get more concerned with the organ fund and the altar guild and this thing and that thing. And then it, it becomes the gravitational pull for any organization internally is so deep and powerful. I mean, the, the centrifugal force to, to pull you into like, it, it's, it's almost um, inescapable. And so I think that, that, that which is interesting because I think it seems like in, in, in your kind of launching of base camp, you're, you, you've, you've tried to sort of build in something into the DNA. We're like, Hey, like we're, we're looking past base camp here. <laughs> like we're like, we're looking, we're kind of, we're a community that's looking out to the world and our conversations are kind of serving a reimagined, reimagined possibilities. We're not just here. Like um, we're, we're at a campfire, not just for the campfire's sake. Um, we're not going to sort of uh, build a, build a wall around the campfire, but, you know, the, but the campfire is immovable feasts. Right. It's, it's a kind of thing that's meant to be serving a, a so wider that's world. That's why for myself, and I appreciate that, you know, it's more common to talk about organizations or to talk about movements. That's how people understand what is this thing. But I've always been careful. Like, I don't use those words to describe it. Um, I, and I think the phrase that I've used most often is a social experiment. And I think that there is something mm -hmm. about mm -hmm. thinking of it not as an organization, not as a foundation, not as a movement, but as an experiment. And, and one of the, you know, one of the features of an experiment is it's, it's kind of, it's all hypothesis, right? You're collecting data and, and, and whatever you decide, you know, whatever you kind of set up is, is provisional, right? So even, even on Thursday, when I'm talking yeah. about, you know, we have, we have these rules, we have these principles, and, and this isn't a definitive list. And there's never going to be a definitive list because every time we do this, we're all learning here. It's a learning community, maybe another way to think of it. Um, but anyway, we all have to read our Ivan Illich because I think he said something that's quite true just about, you know, the best, with the best intentions, as, as any kind of effort grows and then needs to kind of bring people in and then needs to get coordinated and stuff like that, it starts to have a life of its own and a need of its own. Yeah. Um, anyway, I, the other thing I wanted to come back to, and this is coming way back, but when you talked about, you know, we have enough data, what we need is more imagination. I think, you know, with, with this pandemic threat, you know, certainly the, like the Dr. Fauci's of the world would completely disagree with you and say, we, there is so much more data that we need. If we had... If we had all of the local level data I wish we had, then we could make um, much better quality decisions about what to reopen in what sequence. Now, the problem is that imagine you had all of the data to make the best decisions about the sequencing of reopening. Then you need a society that is okay. I mean, we talk about us and them. You know, you get to go back to work, Scott, but Chris, you have to stay at home. And it has nothing to do with you. It has right, to do with, right. you know, it could be the nature of your work versus the nature of mine and the ability to social distance while we do it. It could have to do with hospital bed capacity in your neighborhood versus mine. You know, all of these different factors that we had the data would factor into where is it safe and where is it riskier to, to do things. But but if 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 there is no if there's not a very, very strong sense of a kind of more global we where you know the costs and benefits of some getting their freedoms back before others are all going to even out in the end then then it's impossible to act on that data yeah no and 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 just the data all the data in the world tells us that wearing masks 
you know, prevents the spread of the virus. But we can't we can't reimagine the mask right now. We're caught in this political thing where like if you're Republican, I was just watching Fox News Sunday uh, and they were saying 77 percent of Democrats say they're wearing masks outside versus you know, fifty uh, percent of Republicans, or something like we're this, like this thing. That's the data is clear, right? This is a basic mitigation factor, and yet we can't imagine it, it becomes this political symbol, and we got to we got to reimagine it. So it's not this polarizing <laughs> yeah. symbol, but it's sort of a, a, something the that data we can is do clear. together. The we of that phrase we can do is abstract, isn't? Absolutely. And so that's the challenge, absolutely right. And and I mean, there's so many anecdotal cases of, but like when somebody in my family gets it, then suddenly, you know. Then, then right, it's concrete. Right, then, yeah, right. Then right, it then, becomes then taken seriously. Yeah. So yeah, I think, yeah, yeah. You know, and, and just to connect it back to maybe in a way, I mean, how dastardly is nature to pick now to challenge how how good are we at imagining a global? Because if you think about, it, I, I yeah. drew this really crappy picture, but maybe we can turn it into something, right? So if there's if there's this magical thing called consensus in the middle. And then this is a really bad picture, but I was thinking like there are kind of three forces that are tearing consensus apart right now. Um, you know, one is you talked about just the, the kind of the identity entrepreneurship that is possible today. Um, um, the other yep. is like like socioeconomic divisions, right? And and racial yep. divisions and all of like so there's there's a kind of I can imagine myself as a different we, but there are also things that are much whether I imagine them or not, they have real effect. Um, and then the other. I feel like it's a separate thing, just like societal upheaval, you know, like, you know, technological mm-hmm, change. Mm-hmm. So similarly, like the Gutenberg press, right? Like we have these new mediums and, you know, Marshall McLuhan was so popular for saying that the medium is the message that, that how we, is the message, our yeah. understanding of reality is shaped by the media environment that we load in. And we don't understand the consequences, just like Gutenberg didn't. Gutenberg was a pious Catholic. He would have never wanted to invent something that undermined the authority of the church, and that's but he just, did. I mean, the Reformation wasn't possible and, and without the one book. dimension of societal upheaval, right? I mean, like environmentalists would talk about like like COVID nineteen was a nature crisis. By the way, the, these bugs they yeah, come out yeah. of stressed ecosystem. They don't just drop from the sky randomly. There, there's good science about how how nature is struggling makes these things more likely. So, you know, there's a whole other crisis there that is putting all sorts of stresses. Because it and, connects to climate change, because climate change stresses the ecosystem. Connects to migration, pandemic. right? People have to move because yep. of, of of climate catastrophes or economic, like, so all of this stuff is just hitting us and challenging us at the same time. And interestingly, so I, I thought I'd just pick this off the shelf to be random. And it's turning into such such a powerful analogy to make sense of the moment that we're in. And it's this book uh, that our, our guest a couple weeks ago, Michael Garfield, recommended, High Weirdness. It, yeah, it's basically, oh, yeah, from the it's 70s, basically right? a, book it's a book about, about the, about 70s, the 70s, and particularly like California in the 70s, and just how there was so much exploration of kind of like, uh, you know, obviously drugs, but the occult and witchcraft and, you know, psychotic, all this kind of, you know, weirdness yeah um and but he talks as a social theorist about how like this didn't just didn't just happen randomly in that decade because but it happened because there was just this um i love this phrase ruins of consensus and in the ruins Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. of consensus in the 70s you had this explosion of new subcultures of of visionary communities which is maybe what you know what base camp is it's kind of 
an, an inevitable response to the the just ruins of consensus and how we try to cope with that um, and reborn selves. So, so to think about the ruins of consensus in the seventies and all of this, all of this sort of identity innovation that that went on to kind yeah. of you know find a new stable sense making basically, and uh, on the same page compares it to the citizen ideal forged in the nineteen fifties of the rational individual, white and male, who blended self sufficiency and well defined social commitments. Yeah. And that was over. Now, I don't really, I'm not a student of the 50s, so I don't, I don't know if that's an accurate summary of kind of how it felt to sort of be mainstream society in the 50s. But it sounds persuasive to me. Yeah. Um, and so it's, yeah, it's interesting to think of just how, how far um, society is in this moment from a, an ideal yeah, and, and something you say here that it gives me hope is that you seeing base camp as a response to this corruption of consensus, which is you know it, it's the it's the flip side of the tribalism. We're like, okay, maybe we're tired of the tribalism, mm. and a social experiment like base camp is a sort of reaction to to the sort of gridlock, unimaginative tribalism. And it's like, okay, there's a, this is a response, an imaginative response to that. I, I, I'm sure like in five, 10, 50 years, um, you know, anthropologists and social scientists will look back on the 20s and, and things like base camp, you know, which, you know, maybe becomes quite influential um, as a as a social space will we'll make will be totally obvious outgrowths. Right. Like, yeah, 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 the, yeah. Like kind of just the, the digital balkanization of people's media leading to a you know, let's swing the pendulum back and a hunger for just analog connection with you know real people that have not been pushed to us by by an algorithm but have come together because they share an interest yeah. in, in in having a conversation that matters i mean it'll it'll be like a duh yeah of course of course that's what happens like when it swings too far one way people look for what they're craving Right. Our, yeah. We are we are most hungry for the nutrients that we aren't getting. Yep. Um, and and so uh, yeah, I think so. It's I mean it's it it's also very interesting that you know maybe in that sense it's not surprising the politicization of this coronavirus because it is this kind of opportunity to really connect with how hungry people are for some better sense of community. Yeah. I think. But then it quickly becomes, but whose community, right? And what community? Um, and I'm not surprised that kind of any identity movement right now just, just it's like it's like a match in 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 a dry field, right? It's just because that's yeah. what all of our focus is on right now is, you know, what what are the boundaries of community? Who who is this? Who are we? And who are? Yeah, and they? that's the interesting thing. Is base camp is is base camp a kind of new form of weeness? Is it a social experiment in weeness that's sort of like we, like we're 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 trying to come up with a weeness that doesn't preclude a plurality of identity that doesn't preclude um, open exploration questions? It's kind of a different. It's 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 a different kind. It's 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 unique kind of approach to to the weeness question. I think. Yeah, because uh, it's a you know it it's a I think it's a community of inquiry maybe. Um, yeah, because so, usually, so usually the identity is around the curiosity, and I think yes, it's also, that's normally not how we is built, mm, mm. right? I, that's not normally how weeness is constructed. I think it's all yeah, like it's about and it's yeah, so it's 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 a it's a weeness of I think um, uh, I, I yeah I, I, I 
if we could finish this, that would really, if we could finish this sentence, really help. It's a weenus of something different. That's for sure. Yeah, 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 right? yeah, yeah. And, yeah, and yeah, ingredients definitely. of that are kind of like almost just like like a personal psychology of a curiosity, which is to say, kind of um, look, we don't have all the answers, and I don't have all the answers either, and therefore I need a space like this just sort of help find the stuff that I'm missing. So there's a kind of psychology of curiosity there, and I think there is also a kind of um, uh, a kind of psychology of of like purposeful exploration. Like to 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 name it base camp implies beginning a journey. Yeah, and and I think that I think that pretty much everybody who who comes to this, you know, I want to have a conversation that matters, and and there is an inherent value in that conversation. But I think there is also an inherent hope that yeah. through that conversation somehow something's going to get better yeah that 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 you know in, instead of all like solving all the world's problems and coming up with agendas and stuff it's it's more about we're gonna through these conversations we're gonna we're gonna start thinking differently seeing differently and therefore interacting differently um and ultimately maybe overturn some big ideas yeah and some big maps out there in the world i mean that's why you know we call this the atlas project right why right 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 because we need a new atlas. We need to see the maps we're navigating by, figure out what's wrong with them, tear them up, and and try to come up with better ones. Um, and and I think there is. So I think there is a bit of weeness about that. Is a sense yeah, that yeah, there, yeah, yeah, yeah. That the world would be a better place if we could all um, have you know insights into what's missing from the maps that we're navigating by, and if we could change, if we could, if we could fill in those details that are missing and sometimes just tear up the things that are just really wrong, that, that, that would make things better. So, so it's conversations that matter. And part of why they matter is that they, they have a, there's a sense that these are going to have a real effect in, in the world. Even if, even if we don't try to measure it in the way that we tend to try to measure things, you know, the impact of things, um, we're doing a, we're doing a base camp, um, which this will be a, a really interesting experiment of the model. Uh, for a public library that's happening in three weeks' time. And they want to get the community together and talk about what are we discovering about our community through all of this. And so we're going to. And this will be through. This will be online. Yeah, it'll be right? online. Uh, cool. And and it'll be it'll be for people in that community, right? Um, so it'll have a kind of local flavor. It'd be interesting to experiment with that. But we're going to base camp that question in that community, and then I like that it's a verb. Now we're going to base camp that. Oh, uh, I think it has to be a verb because we're yeah, using, yeah, 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 right. And then, and I think this part of the model, we decided that we're, there's going to be a six-month check-in. And that's where we're going to start to understand what was the impact of that conversation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What were the journeys, the conversations that began by having that distinctive get-together in the distinctive way with this kind of curiosity? Um, and, I, and I really think that, you know, that's kind of where we, we, need, to, we need to be thinking about the impact of this stuff. Yeah, yeah, in a very, in a very, in a very different way. I look at so I'm about to send today kind of the output um, conversation starters, the the gems of insight that came from everybody who was on on a Thursday's base camp, and it was interesting how you know what people took away. Um, it wasn't that, it wasn't that hard at all to to find a kind of organizing structure for it. There was there were questions about division and how and why are we divided, and there were questions about inclusion. You know how how do we how do we create greater inclusion both yeah yeah what we do personally and 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 also what we do what we do out in the world and ultimately you know the impact 
of having that conversation will be if you know sending sending this document out to everybody who took part in it and look and say wow you know now i see some further conversations i want to have yeah yeah this is this is what's begun having that conversation that matters this this is what i can do with it now this is the door that it opens and if you want to be a part of this if you're a listener and you're not connected to Basecamp, um send us an email uh, you can do it right through the podcast site and and we will um, tell you how to get connected because um, you're the you know yours is a voice if you're about a community of curiosity and inquiry and discovery together that we need your voice around the campfire so we'd love to have you oh uh, yeah it's i mean the joy of every the joy of every base camp is the new faces Oh yeah, no, it's it's fantastic. I mean, I I talked with several people who I invited, and and I was so gratified by getting the response because I just kind of knew they had the they had the kind of curiosity and passion for this community, and so like it was this like kind of beaming sensation in me that like they they got it and, and mm-hmm. it worked, mm-hmm. and and, and now mm-hmm. they want to come back, and now they want to kind of reengage. I mean, it was just so like I felt like I had given them. I didn't feel like I was a. Uh, uh, recruiting for some organization, I feel like I had given them a gift. You know, it's like one of those things when you give someone a gift that really they didn't know they need or wanted until they open it and see. I, I feel like I had the opportunity to give them that gift, hmm. and that was like, oh my gosh, I can't tell you how emotionally gratifying that was to to hear that they got what they needed. They got what they needed, and I and I got to be a part of sharing it with them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We hunger most for the nutrients that we're lacking. That's yeah. That's good. So thanks, my friend, for doing yeah, this, for, no. for convening these communities, for being a co-host of this podcast, and for being you, my friend. Oh, we're uh, we're doing it together, but uh, you're yeah. It's you're great. Off. It's great to not. It's great to not be alone in endeavors. You know, it's great to have. We are have, we are far from alone now. <laughs> right, exactly. Exactly, man. Oh my god. All right. Yeah. All right, my friend. Have a good one. Thanks for listening to the Atlas Project. We'd love to hear your feedback. Drop us a line or send us a message on Facebook. If you really like what we're doing, please rate us on iTunes and write a review. It helps so much as we're just getting off the ground. Thanks for listening and facing the new world with us.